No, 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 no. Today is Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Time for a new episode of the Barnhart Podcast. We are now up to episode 164, and we don't really have a fixed topic. It's going to be the uh, Ask the Panel podcast, and, um, well, we don't have a full panel here. We have, obviously, a super nerd is here, yakking into a microphone, and we have Anne. What's up? It's named after me, so I figured I should roll in, you know, you know, so. <laughs> well, we, we did have a podcast without you recently, but. Uh, yes, that's true, and it was very, very good. Well done. Nice, short and to the point. I don't, I don't think that's a commentary that oh, without, oh, I, 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 didn't, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way Donna. super passive aggressive up in here <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, all right and who, who's who's that other voice i hear over there that would be vanessa <laughs> yes, we are joined by Vanessa, and so we we do have a, a partial panel, enough of a panel to get a show going, and uh, any any opening ideas or thoughts or comments, um, free speech time for the beginning of 2022, any thoughts that are striking y'all? I got nothing. I got nothing to say. <laughs> Same. I, it's like we're all waiting for a shoe to drop and, you know, hanging out until it does. I don't know. Yeah, as, as we were discussing in the in the warm up, it's just you know you look at Canon two twelve and is there anything new? And it's just no, it's just basically the same old grind. It's the same mm-hmm. stuff every day. You know, Bergoglio has gas and some document <laughs> appears, and <laughs> it's just it just keeps going. Um, like like Vanessa said, just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I I am I am cautiously pessimistic that 2022 is going to be a Chinese curse year in which lots of interesting things happen. They just haven't started happening yet. So, Well, there is a, a, a passage in the, in the scriptures about uh, watching the, the, basically watching the signs of the time and mm-hmm. the, the warning about um, signs and wonders in the sky. And I'm sure you've seen the, um, not the podcast, the, the blog post over at Forge and Anvil by, uh, I think it's Laramie Hirsch, uh, where he goes through the the uh, astronomy, not astrology, the astronomy of, of, and he goes, he's tracing this back a, a decade or so and basically drawing up to the point saying that the signs in the sky are telling us something's about to happen and very quickly. So yeah, in terms of waiting for the shoe to drop, it's, you know, the, the signs are there. Well, and the other thing, speaking of stars and, and all that, it, it's, I, with regards to all of this UFO nonsense, I think it's very clear that they're running up towards an, towards making a lying announcement that they're in contact with aliens and the aliens are telling are telling them that they have to do everything that is the new world order agenda. The the aliens say there's mm-hmm. too many people. The aliens say you have to stop using petroleum. The aliens say this. The aliens say that. And I think that w- one of the um, experimental results that's come out of the entire Corona scam. Is, is that the oligarchs have realized that they can say absolutely anything. And these people now, what, what, is, what does Malone call it? What are we calling it now? Ma- what's the mass, mass psycho- psychosis? Uh, mass mass, mass formation psychosis. Mass formation psychosis. Mm-hmm. They can get on television and they can tell these people absolutely anything, including the aliens are saying that you have to stop driving a car, lock yourself in the house, and eat only insects from now on. And... 
a very, very, very large percentage of people now will do whatever they say. And believe you me, the aliens are never going to appear. It's always going to be, well, you know, they're, they're staying in the background, but they're in communication with us. And we are in communication with them. And we have been for a while. And it's, it's time that we, you know, that we acknowledge this. And these people are falling for it, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, and it's the same cast of characters, you know. I mean, people who have very serious problems all seem to fall for exactly the same things. They can't see the corona scam if they were being beaten over the head with a two-by-four by it. Um, they can't process um, the, the anti-papacy. Um, they believe in UFOs and they believe in evolution. I mean, it's, and you can go on. There's other things that these people all, they all have the same list of, um, deceptions that they just fall for. And it's, it's sad to watch, but I think 20, well, okay, there you go. I'll, I'll call it 2022. I think 2022 is going to be something to do with, with aliens. And also all of this, um, all of this extreme hype and interest in this telescope. Now, Everybody who's read my blog for any amount of time knows that I, I am fascinated by, you know, looking at the stars and cosmology and looking at the universe and everything that goes along with that and, and what a gift from God it is that, that we're able to do that and how much it builds your faith if you're able to, you know, look at the Hubble Deep Field and just see how enormous the universe is and how beautiful the universe is and so on and so forth. Um, I'm all about these things. But it just seems really weird to me that there's so much focus on this telescope and people are just freaking out about this thing. And it isn't even a visible light telescope. It's, a, it's an infrared telescope. So, you know, I'm sure for the scientists it's going to yield all kinds of interesting data, I suppose. But um, I find the Hubble and the visible light telescopes to be far more interesting but they're really, really pushing this, and it almost feels like they're pushing it so hard that it's part of some sort of a, that it's part of the plan with the UFOs or, or something, that they're going to try to tie it into that somehow. It's, it's, it's weird, and it's, it's, I don't know, it's just got my, my spidey sense up. I don't know. We'll see. Are you not trusting the plan, Anne? I'm not, I'm not trusting the plan, <laughs> Vanessa. I'm not right. trusting the plan, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm, I'm curious what Chelsea Clinton would think of all this, considering the two big telescopes circling the the, the, the globe right now are the, are, are the hub and the web. <laughs> they're, 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 the named after her web. they're named after her daddy. <laughs> oh. Chelsea's a star. <laughs> oh, dear. Speaking of Planned Parenthood, the first question for the evening. Uh, recently, oh, good. You're on fire. <laughs> that was a segue. <laughs> Man, go ahead. <laughs> Question. Recently, a Planned Parenthood was burned in the United States, and the Masonic Lodge was burned in Ireland. I know arson is wrong, but at some point, is vigilantism ever allowed? Eh, it doesn't matter. It's just a pile of bricks. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't and a building. It was I a clump of bricks. It's just a clump of bricks, and super nerd... I don't, you, did you send that one to me? Or? I, I found it online, yeah. Yeah. No, that was that was sharp. What, what, so what? Uh, that was about a Planned Parenthood, wasn't it? in Tennessee or something. And the, mm -hmm. and the reply was, Christo-fascist bastards. And then the, then the <laughs> reply right under that was, ah, it, was just a, it was just a clump of bricks. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. I had not heard about the Masonic Lodge burning down, but I do hear frequently about all across Canada and across France, Catholic churches being burned. I don't even, I, I, are they doing it in the United States yet? It's only a matter of time. 
Mm, maybe here and there infrequently. I know in Canada, they've had a few. Um, there were. Relatively well, recently. In California, there was like the Junipo Serra uh, statue desecrations. I think there, there were some churches burned in the Southwest, but it's been a while ago. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly at the clip that it was in Canada and certainly not at the clip that it is in France. I mean, you look at a map of France with a and put a little pin on every loca- location where a church has been desecrated or destroyed, and it's it's the entire country. It's mm-hmm. absolutely astounding. You know, if they were being clever with it, they'd pick out their their churches to burn so that it forms a crescent. They're not that clever. Well, that's I, expecting yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's expecting a lot. <laughs> Too many people marrying their cousins for that. No. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Well, France has got that new, um, uh, that presidential hopeful, I think it is, or prime ministerial hopeful, Zamor, um, yeah. who paid homage to ca- uh, France's Catholic past, but then in one of his speeches has a bust of uh, Napoleon behind him. So it's kind of like, you know, I don't think he's the Catholic hero people want, but... He's he's not even Catholic. He's... Um, uh, yeah, right. He Isn't he... He's Mor- half Moroccan or something like that. Makes sense, and- yeah. And is he is he a Jew or is he? I, don't I can't think I, so. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd have Google to look it up. But he he's not Catholic, and that was one of the things that was remarkable about the speech that he made, is that he was just like saying, "This Catholicism is the identity of France, and you people are, you are losing your entire culture, and you may never get it back if you don't if you don't stand and do something about this." dot 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 and i'm not even catholic you know um it was pretty remarkable but i don't know i just find myself being so incredibly jaded and the barnhart axiom applies every bit as much in europe as it does in the united states which is anybody who would anyone who holds or seeks to hold high level national office is by definition unfit to hold high level national office it's it's oh he is jewish he is jewish yeah, yeah yeah Mm-hmm. The only yeah. person I know of Moroccan extraction is my Jewish handler. Well, <laughs> well, I, I nickname him my Jewish handler, but but uh, no, he he really is a Jewish guy from Israel. He he's now a U.S. citizen, but uh, no, he, he's a Moroccan Jew. That's so for huh? for those listeners who aren't in, um, uh, we have uh, is it one or two? Is it more than one person who will email the podcast um, email address? and swears up and down that super nerd is um mossad and that um he is my mossad handler so just just so you all know that's the that's the situation here the i would never work with the mossad uh, unit, unit 82, <laughs> it's unit 8200 or nothing you admire their technology that much i know i admire their chutzpah i'll give them that <laughs> Ooh, Oy. two points <laughs> Two points for the Yiddish. (laughs) All right. What else do we got on the list, Super Nerd? Uh, There's no easy segue to this one. Um, A question for the ladies on the podcast. That's good. We got two of them tonight. Um, What should the standards be for veiling and modesty at Mass and outside of Mass? Ooh. (laughs) I'm going to sit back and let you guys open this can of worms. This is like, I'm trying to think there's a movie where somebody opens a mystery briefcase and there's like a shining something inside, but you never see what it is, you know? Oh, it's Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, that's right. It's Pulp Mm -hmm. Fiction, yes. Um, Well, 
Um, I'll, I'll start, and then I'll, I, believe it or not, I know that Vanessa is actually more hardcore on this question than I am. <laughs> so, I'll, so I'll lay out mine, and then Vanessa can, you know, put the frosting on top of, on top of the cake. Um, women should have their heads covered in church, um, and certainly, you know, in church because our Lord is reposed in the tabernacle. Um, so... You know, just going off that assumption that our Lord is reposed in the tabernacle, when you step foot in a Catholic church, women should have their head covered. That can be either a veil, or as I am wont to wear, I wear hats. I wear a hat almost every day now. Um, so veil or hat. Um, but an appropriate of, hat, not like a Kentucky Derby hat that blocks the people's view behind you. Uh, well... Um. <laughs> <laughs> I've 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 been poked by an old woman once or twice in my time because she thought that I was blocking her view but yeah if I wear a super big hat I do try to sit in the back I'll put it to you that way um <clears throat> and um let's see in terms of uh what you wear just in general um I haven't worn I haven't worn trousers in years now and you know, time is kind of weirdly compressed since since the coup. It's like there's a whole missing year in there. But I would guesstimate the last time I wore pants was like three years ago, maybe longer. Um, so dresses and skirts, and they should be below the knee um, at the very highest. And what else? Neckline. Watch the neckline, ladies. I mean, <laughs> I had one um, friend of mine who serves the mass, a layman who serves the mass, and he says, one of the things you have to do is when, you know, the women, you know, people are there at the communion rail and they're kneeling down and there are these women and they've got the low, they've got a, a, a blouse or a dress that is low cut. And even if they think that it isn't particularly low cut, you have to understand that as the priest is walking down the communion rail, the, the server is like literally taking the patent, which he holds underneath every which he holds underneath everyone's chin as they receive. And what he's doing is he's trying to block the view straight down the the woman's you know, uh, what's that word? Decolletage, her her bosom there because the you know the priest as he passes and he's giving people holy communion. The view is just like right straight down into your chest. So, ladies, please. I mean, this this isn't too much to ask. Make sure that your neckline is plenty high, and you know, check yourself. Look down. If you look down and you can see, you know, if you can see any um, anatomical indication of your own cleavage, then that means other people can too. So, <clears throat> and you know, just a general reminder to women. We don't, we don't get it. We don't perceive it, but that kind of stuff is really, really rough on men. I mean, the sight of things like that affects men in a way that we women just can't even understand. They have a, they have a visceral, almost, <clears throat> almost a quasi involuntary reaction to it. Totally and involuntary. It's, yeah. It's, it's and, something where, and, and I, I will say this as a guy, um, I, I can, I can, I will see something out of the, my peripheral vision and without thinking about it, I, I will look to, to do a, to, to see what it is. And then once I realize what it is, I have to turn away immediately. And I'm talking like, 
you know, during the summer when you're leaving from work, going to your car, uh, it, there's just too many things. It, it's not something you can just decide not to look at. There's something innate. You you notice it. You look. It, it takes discipline to intentionally look down and intentionally narrow your field of view so you don't have that peripheral vision, which I'm sure the priests are trying to do. But in that particular scenario, um, it's kind of exactly where you need to pay attention for, for distributing communion. Yeah. It's right on that sight line. So it's not like he yep. can avert his gaze very well. Yeah. And it's, I mean... People talk about women being man-haters. You want to talk about something that's really man-hating. It's it's to put a man into that situation. You know, you've got to think about this. And it's not, it's not because men are rape monsters and it's not some horrible, awful, evil thing. It's it is innate to their construction. It's it's how it's in a sense how God made them coupled with concupiscence, granted, coupled with concupiscence, but there's clearly an engineered visual dynamic with men that simply does not exist with, with us women. Um, and so if you're, if you want to talk about man hating and you, and you want to, and you're morally sane, a really man hating thing to do is to put a man in the, in the sort of situation where you're giving him involuntary um erogenous reactions in public i mean that's just that's awful that's an awful thing to do to guys um so don't do that now that's i I don't also think that we should that women should be running around in potato sacks either and the fact of the matter is is that you can be wearing a turtleneck sweater and you know a cardigan and men will involuntarily glance down at your <laughs> at your rack for lack of a better word i always think of the word rack guys will look down at your rack with that that super quick glance down Me, that happens to me not infrequently it's not lascivious i'm not holding it against anyone i understand that's how that's how the male mind and body works and i i don't hold it against it but you know there's another there's an interesting thing about that if I may go off on a tangent, one thing you notice is that homosexual men don't do that. Homosexual men don't don't glance down at at women's racks when they're talking to them. It's kind of it's a little bit of a tell. Homosexual men look down at other things which are lower and women don't have. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced like I used to wonder how how do these guys who aren't just like flamers how do they pick each other out? They seem to have this gaydar, and they can tell if they walk into, a, you know, a crowd or a social situation or something like that. They're able to pick each other out. How do they do this? And I'm convinced I figured it out. I think they're watching each other's eyes, and they're looking mm. for men who look down at other men's crotches, because straight men obviously don't do that. Okay. Um, I think I think that is one of the whether it's conscious or unconscious. That's one of the tells that they're that they're picking up on with each other, and that's how they pick each other out without, you know, somebody being just an absolute flamer. So I thought you were going to say they're looking down to see your shoes <laughs> to judge no, your no, shoes. No, 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 no. I mean, that's <laughs> that could happen too. I'm, that I'm could happen too. That was not what I was referring to. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. But um, homosexual men do not look down at your uh, at the female chestal area the way 
honest, you know, just straight guys do. And that's not saying I'm, I'm telling straight men that you have a license to stare at women's racks. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying as a morally sane woman, I understand that when a man's glance just darts down and comes right back up, I'm, I'm not offended. Good grief. That's, that's just silly. In fact, I'm, sometimes I'm actually relieved to know, oh, well, there's, there's one heterosexual. There's a few of them left. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, okay, so let me think. Um, oh, we were to, I asked you about sleeves. See, during the summer, I, I don't wear, um, I do not wear sleeveless anything in, inside the church. Um, but I will wear short-sleeved dresses inside the church in the heat of summer. So, Vanessa, <gasps> grasping, pearl grasp, clutching, commences. pearl clutching, fanning oh. yourself. Oh. <laughs> My goodness. Um, okay, I'm very hardcore on this issue. Um, well, mostly in the sense that this has been a recent thing. A recent thing I'm noticing with this Gen Z. See, now I'm an old enough millennial where I, where I can talk about the youngins derogatorily. <laughs> I've waited kids. so long for this moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I, exactly. I'm a grandma millennial. Okay, just for reference here. And so I'm noticing in these in these tra in trad circles. See, traditionalism obviously has really flourished since. Some more mm -hmm. in pontificum and so when i converted and like when you converted and that was like kind of more in the beginning when things weren't really hip or cool or status symboly but mm -hmm. now it is you know like now these parishes are flourishing it's where the high arts and the high culture are so for for a lot of these gen zers i'm noticing that they're really attracted to the faith through the beauty which is great but mm -hmm. the women are not getting on the modesty train i have seen a flurry of very inappropriate wedding dresses at yeah. TLM churches. Okay, these are we should TLM talk about wedding weddings. dresses. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh yes, yes, ladies. And, um, oh, yeah. Ugh. Don't don't yes. ruin one of the most important days of your life by oh no, just no. It's like <laughs> if you wouldn't wear it in the Vatican because they're you know they're strict with the shoulders and all that stuff. If you've been to the Vatican, you know that they will not let you in with bare shoulders and all that stuff. So it's like if you wouldn't wear it to the Vatican, don't wear it to your own wedding. But here's who I hold responsible and priests, I love you, but TL and priests, you got to be preaching about modesty. Yeah, you can't care what these women think if they squawk and they squeal, so be it. But in these churches where I'm seeing these women's wedding dresses at the TLM wedding, my question for the priest is, you have to ask them what they're planning for their wedding dress yeah. before the wedding happens. My my pastor did that. He's like, hey, I don't think you'd wear anything wrong, but I just I have to check. I was like, yeah, it's you know long sleeve, da da da. He's like, great. So yep. that's all it takes is a check in there. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I, yeah, I'm a little more hardcore. I like down to the ankle, um, three quarter length sleeve. Um, if my neckline is a little lower than the two finger breadth, which is the Marian modesty standard of Pope Pius twelfth, then I usually take my veil 10th. Uh, I think the 12th came out with one, two. Um, it's two, check. it's two, you hold your two fingers <clears throat> together and then you put it on what your, that little your, your collarbone. On yeah, your collarbone. Your clavicle. Okay, yeah, yeah. Clavicle, yeah. yeah. And um, so if that's the case, if I have my mantilla and I have a high, strong preference for Spanish 
lace mantilla. The consistency is great. It holds to the hair. It's really flattering. Um, You take the ends of that when you're going up for communion. You take the ends, you hold them together with one of your hands. That way it doesn't Mm -hmm. slip when your head goes back. Mm -hmm. It protects the priest's line of sight Mm -hmm. from any decollete, taj, whatever. And you're good to go. Um, My only thing is I would say this, not to look Amish. Ladies, let's incorporate some of that European sensibility. No Amish stuff. Get that jean jacket and toss it. When I came in, so I converted in 07 and then tratted within like a year later. Um, Uh In in Colorado, it was all about the the Amish look. And I, Mm. I, I stood out like a sore thumb and the famous story is um um i befriended a family who actually they weren't in denver they were in colorado springs and they invited me to dinner and they had like 10 kids in this beautiful house and you know down between between denver and the springs and i go down there and we're sitting there at the dinner table and the wife lovely 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 people she's she says to me well we we saw you at mass and we thought about inviting you to the coffee and donuts after but we decided against it and she was serious i mean i mean and <laughs> it was be, because i was not dressed like an amish woman i was wearing i mean you can imagine i was wearing smart clothes you know um everything was below the knee but uh, I, w- I would wear heel i would wear heels um i just wore like you know smart yeah. smart business i don't even i guess that's what you would call it you know but sunday sunday was my day to dress up and i had these clothes and you know they're, they're not a modest and and i like them and it's your opportunity to you know to wear these clothes that you have and and dress up and and I did and it just it freaked all of them out but like you said in the past decade the whole demographic of the whole thing has changed has turned over so there are yeah there are still some some Amishy um women and families in in U.S. tratty land no question but there's a lot of people now who are you know just more mainstream and aren't going to be mistaken for the Amish you have to find that balance. Um, It's almost as if, you know, the Amish thing could almost be taken to an extreme. And I've, I've been acquainted with more than one trad woman who was actively, um, what, how do I want to phrase it? They, they were trying to be ugly and they, they were like trying, (laughs) no, I'm serious. They were like any, any effort that you're making, to be is beautiful uh-huh. is vanity and you're trying to entice men and you you know you look like a skank and when oh, oh there's there's a guy that oh, what's used the to, word for that oh strumpet <laughs> <laughs> the dread strumpet the dread, the Amish dread strumpet. Yeah. <laughs> i mean and it's not there, even a question of money guys it's it's really a question of taste and it's just staying away from like the too much of the jeans the like you know just the like you know have a little 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 oomph for sunday for, you know for, yeah formless yeah. just formless uh potato sack dresses and um and I, I really think, like you mentioned, kind of the more the European mindset, and I, I do agree with this. And ladies, you know, those of you, most of you probably are married. It is a good thing for you to be beautiful, modestly, properly beautiful in public as a credit to your husband. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that that you should want to do that. You should want your husband to be proud of you. And, you know, this is my wife and she, look how beautiful she is, you know? Um, I'm not saying that you need to be, you know, plastering or plastering yourself in makeup or anything like this. But on the other hand, for example, this guy, this guy for years and years and years would email me and tell me that I was clearly a prostitute because I wear <laughs> lip gloss. And, <laughs> and I was like, okay, you need to understand if I don't, if I don't wear lip gloss, just something, whether it's tinted or not, or, or whether it's just clear, um, I'm a person whose lips just chap and split and break and I I have dry lips for whatever reason. And lip gloss is heavy and it'll keep your your lips from chapping and splitting and bleeding um, for hours on end. And so, so I've got a choice. I can wear a little bit of naturally or clear tinted lip gloss or I can have like skin peeling peeling and hanging off of my split, bleeding, dry, chapped lips. I mean, of course I'm going to... What is Sophie's choice? I mean, that's a tough one. I think your next book should be the emails that people write you. So chapter one can be Dutch Jew. Chapter two would be lip gloss, strumpet, clearly. Have have we told the listenership that I I have been absolutely assured by the internet that I am in fact a Dutch Jew because apparently, and I've never heard anything like this before in my life, Barnhart apparently, he, this, this guy decided that Barnhart is a Dutch Jewish name. Like, wow. That's so new, specific, new, yeah, that's really new, News to me, um, you know, I've got documents of, you know, my ancestors going back to the Black Forest. So I think they would probably take issue with that. But it just goes to show you how I just uh, you're, you're right. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, but the Dutch Jewish part thing is, is absurd because you're too short. I'm du- too short. Dutch, oh, Dutch that's people right. Are I'm, tall. I'm only five, four. That's right. I'm only five, four. So, yeah, yeah even yep. even the Jews in Holland are tall. Well, the, the ones that are still there. <laughs> oh. Oh. I didn't mean that anything other than face value. I mean, there was an event that sure super nerd. Yeah. Sure. He didn't do nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> all right, Vanessa, what do you want to rant about with regards to feminine modesty and makeup? And oh, all that? man. Oh, well, yeah. So on Twitter, it's always a joke of like, what's the discourse this week on Catholic Twitter? And so the ones that always come up with modesty would be this question and then also the makeup question. Guys, I'm here to sell it, settle it. Look good. Don't look like a prostitute. Yeah. That's it. That's yeah. it. Prudence, 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 prudence. Yeah. It's not hard. Um, no one should be looking intentionally ugly. Yeah. Um, Beauty no is a constitutive quality of God. We shouldn't be sh- right. We shouldn't be shunning it, and it's natural for us. Um, I t- I discussed this years ago with a very 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 trad um, guy and said, well, "Well, what do you think about this?" And he says, "You, we should all be striving for beauty, and women women especially being you know allegedly the pinnacle of of human creation, um, we should be." 
striving for that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's normal for you to want your skin to be kind of smooth and, you know, not look splotchy. It's natural for you to not want to have, you know, big dark circles under your eyes or something like that. Um, um, that's all that's all good that's all fine that's all natural but you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing things like what these people on the internet are doing with it's you know it looks like drag queen makeup that's been projected onto women and that that's just that's hideous or like for example the thing that freaks me out look this up listenership if you don't believe me um be careful when you're googling this but i mean i i think you should be you should be safe um one of the kardashian girls or one of the the jenner girls kylie jenner mm, i know where you're going looks like there you can pull you could do a search of her of kylie jenner without makeup and that there'll you know there will come up you know two pictures side by side her with her full drag queen makeup on and her without any makeup on it literally does not look like the same person it looks like two completely different people your makeup should not make you look like somebody else. You should just look like you, except, you know, you know, you're you're a little bit brighter in your under eye area and maybe you put on a little mascara so your your eyelashes look a little bit thicker or something like that. That's it. That's all it should be. To make a photo uh, analogy here, the di you, it's the difference between touching up a photo, you know, adjusting yeah. adjusting color or adjusting lights and, or, or light levels and maybe contrast as opposed to photoshopping it. Right. Well said. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yes, ladies, don't photoshop yourselves. Yep. And and to your point, talking about um, you know the, the trad Amish movement, I would I would say there's not a problem with it as long as they don't um, project the the judgment that that's yeah, what you exactly. should be as well. Yeah. yeah if yeah. that's what you want to do and, and you want to make yourself, and I, I don't, I don't actually, I, this, this gets into a question of, of mental health and that's for something for priests, but the idea of trying to make yourself um, look less attractive so as not to be a distraction to, or that guys are a distraction to you. There have been numerous uh, female saints who have done this and, and it would, it wasn't something they were doing at, at, with the intention of saying, this is what everybody should do. It's what they were doing to improve their spiritual lives. And most of them went on to become uh, religious, religious as well. Mm -hmm. um, a couple had a extraordinary revelation made to them. It's like, no, you're called to the married life and you need to knock that off. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. there's, there's nothing wrong with doing that per, uh, per se. I mean, maybe the potato sack's a little too far, but uh, I, I get where you're going with that. I mean, if, if you want to have non form fitting and colorful, you know, Japanese um, female uh, styles have always accentuated uh, really bright, colorful, but shapeless. Right. Shapeless. Yeah. The kimonos are, it's just, you're, the woman is just a cylinder basically. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I don't think know. They say your dress should be loose enough to show you're a lady, but mm -hmm. tight enough to show you're a woman. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. I, well, that's a good one. I that's didn't make a good that one. up. I don't even know. That's who said a good that, one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I always, I always try to, emphasize is that you're doing you're doing men a tremendous disservice i think if you believe that walking around not wearing some sort of a full body hijab situation is causing men to turn into absolute rape monsters now i know i started this conversation by talking about you know men are wired differently and they have these visual reactions to things so on and so forth 
so I mean, we're talking about one truth and then the two the two left and right extremes of, of this one central truth. However, having said that, that men are wired differently and are highly visual and have, have reactions to certain uh, visual cues with regards to the female body, you can't take that to the other extreme and say that they're all, you know, unless you're wearing a, a trash bag, head to foot, that they're standing there wanting to rape you. Because that's not true either. You know, you have, you have to give, um, especially good men that you know to be good and virtuous, you have to give them, you have to give them some credit for not being animals. M give men credit for not being animals because they're not. Um, so, you know, as with all things, good grief. It, it, it's, it's so funny to me. This just doesn't seem so difficult, you know? It's just common sense. Use common sense, ladies. Mm -hmm. um, it's it it really isn't that difficult. And feminism has just seeped so hard into our culture that you know most trads today were converts. I mean, really, you know, yeah. um, very few have been raised since birth. Cough, cough, super nerd. So yeah. most of us have been raised on feminist television, feminist advertising, everything. And so for the women I see who go to TLM that are just clinging on to, well, I'm going to look the way I want to look because I want to feel hot. It's like, well, you got a deep program there. And that's mm -hmm. another, you know, great sermon for priests is where in your in your spiritual life do you have this feminism that needs to be unprogrammed? Um, just takes a lot of reflection on what, what do you do every day and what do you believe about the other sex, like you just said, Anne. Well, yeah, even for yeah. people in my cohort who were born and raised into, well, I wasn't technically born a trad because that the timing didn't quite overlap exactly, but I have no knowledge of anything other than uh, the traditional mass growing up. Um, even for, for people in this cohort, there is still, by virtue of being in American society, if you're consuming any media at all, yeah. and of course, I my media consumption in my formative years, this was all prior to the internet. So it, it's mainstream television, radio. You're still going to imbibe a lot of the errors of your of the society in which you're raised. So it was what second wave feminism through the '80s, and I forget what all that is exactly. Um, that's at least when women still realized they were women. But yeah, yeah. But you still understand this, and you imbibe it to a certain extent. To you know, I, I remember thinking, so if a woman wants to have a job and that's what she wants to do, and she's making that conscious choice, and she doesn't want to have a family, but she's not trying to have them both at the same time and force change on everyone else, I, is there a problem there? Um, I'm not going to answer that. Um, but <laughs> but my my point being is that that there even in a an enclave, you know, sheltered area like St. Mary's, Kansas, where I grew up, you still are going to have the elements of the dominant culture or anti-culture as the case may be sure. seeping in. So you're, so just because you know, you, like Vanessa, you're making the case of, of, you know, being new to traditionalism. So you're going to have some things from your past that, that permeate your thought. Even those, those of us who grew up in it, ha we're still a part of the same culture. We, we saw the same movies. We heard the same music for the most part. An example would be, even if you were like country conservative in the 1970s, what, what are you watching on TV if you're country conservative? Hee-haw. And what does hee-haw have? The hee-haw honeys, which are those mm -hmm. girls running around in cut-off denim Daisy Dukes with their boobs hanging out. And that, that's, that's, the, that's the conservative American country far-right aesthetic is the hee-haw honeys. You know, so it, it was, it's just everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. I remember hee-haw. I don't remember the honeys. I guess I was too young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else? 
Have we exhausted that? Um, Probably. Yeah, you, you address the makeup and over rouging. So I guess we can go from that shade of red to a different red. <laughs> um, if I live in a blue state, should I be actively looking to get out and move to a red state or does it even matter at this point? Yes. Yeah, I'd say yes. You need to get into a red state and you need to get close to the, close to the mass. And sad and sad as it is to say at this point, tactically speaking, that probably means the SSPX because I can't make anybody any promises about anything with regards to the Ecclesia Day in 2022. And yes, Bergoglio is going, anti-Pope Bergoglio is going to send visitators to the seminaries and he's going to try to shut them down. So And mispronounced Terminators, but uh, go on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, if... If I were in that situation, I'd be looking very hard at the map and saying, all right, where, where's a red state? Where can I um, live, work, you know, and, and not have um, Nuremberg violating um, attempted laws and so on and so forth? Um, and do it now and, and get, <laughs> not, not to change the subject, but get out of debt. I, I hope that people are kind of understanding why for the past 15 years I've been screaming at the top of my lungs for people to do things like um, cash in your 401k and pay off your mortgage. And people were just constantly saying, that's insane, she's nuts, don't listen to her, that's crazy, you've got, you know, you've got a mortgage at 3.5%, why, why in the world would you not... Um, continue to take advantage of that cheap money. Why would you do something so stupid as to take your money out of the stock market and pay off a mortgage that's locked in at three and a half percent? Well, now you know, because um, probably within twenty, it, probably sometime within twenty twenty two, banks are going to start um, sending out emails to people saying you need to upload your proof of vaccination or else your mortgage is called. So, yeah, that's why you get detached from the banks. But that's a tangent. I, I just changed the subject. Sorry. Get me back on track. Get me back on track. Well, we did the move from a, a blue state to a red state um, a couple months before the scandemic happened. And all I can say to folks is um, just do it. It's not that bad. Um, God's going to help you out if if your intentions are good, you know, obviously to protect your family and be near um, a Latin mass. Um, it might be a bit, a bit difficult. For example, we loved where we used to live, minus the liberal stuff going on. And so, yeah, you know, you're going to feel a bit of sadness. It's not necessarily a voluntary migration. It's like some of the things that the European um, immigrants experienced where they had a lot of sadness, even though they were in glitzy America that they mm -hmm. weren't back at home. And so you'll you'll go through some of that of, well, I didn't necessarily want to come here per se, but I can tell you that where we are now, uh, most people are maskless and where we moved from is considering another lockdown. So mm -hmm. it's it's definitely worth it. The market is, is starting to dip right now where we still talk to our realtor. Um, it was peaking last month, it's starting to go down. So I would say if you're gonna do it, do it now before before you know it's it, it's really um, a seller's market right now well and the thing of it is is that don't worry about selling a high or buying a low mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. in theory you're going to be 
selling whatever whatever overpriced or undesirable real estate you have now and exact and it basically for all intents and purposes at the same time you're going to be buying something else back so you're mm -hmm. going to be selling and buying basically on the same market so all that matters is the spread between the two it doesn't matter whether or not you're you're selling into an absolute peak because if you sell into absolute peak but you have to buy back on the same market you're buying back into the peak too. True, yeah. Right. In relative terms. And the same thing with buying a low. If you're tr if you're worried about that, well, you're su you're you'd be selling into a low market, but then you'd also be buying back in a low market too. So all that matters and this is this is the absolute essence of my entire cattle marketing school by the way. So, um if you, if you sell and buy back on the same market, all you have to be worrying about mathematically is the spread. And I would venture to say that there are some absolutely enormous, in fact, unprecedented, unprecedentedly large spreads between like, say for example, selling, selling something in Denver and buying back in a smallish town in Nebraska or something like that, you know? I, I mean, there's obviously always been a spread there between those two things. But when you're talking about a market like Denver or Phoenix or something like that, or, or obviously any or Austin or anything even in California, you know, obviously, you're talking about spreads at this point that are just staggering and and completely non-justifiable, meaning the the sell side is way too high. Um, those markets are huge, huge bubbles. And so what you need to be looking at, looking at is the spread between the two. Don't worry about the fact that whatever you buy back might go ahead and drop as the market um, drops in absolute terms as you move forward. That, that's really not what you're worried about. What you're worried about is capturing the spread between what you sell and what you buy back. And you have to have somewhere to live, so you have to, you have to buy something back. And if you're selling in one of these big blue cities with a, a massive... Um a massive rise in, in in house rates like Phoenix and 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 um, Austin, and if you live in Austin, it's really easy to sell because the Californians are coming in there and offering sixty thousand over asking price, and the asking prices are out of sight anyway. Sell your house, leave Austin, and move to Texas. But if you're moving from one of these big blue cities, even if you're buying into the high someplace else, the the net um, capital gain on on what you're buying there may actually pay off the whole darn thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could you could get you could buy back into a full equity situation if if you're willing to make a radical enough change from big, big, sexy metropolitan area to a even even like a rural area. Oh, you could very easily. In fact, you could buy back a, a house, pay cash for it and then have enough money left over to buy like a pretty sweet RV or something like that. No, except RVs are super scarce right now because every. And started the trend, and now everyone wants to live in a van by the river. Well, you know, you know, trendsetter, trendsetter. Uh. <laughs> I would say that people do need to watch out, though. If you're going somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, you want to make sure that if you're going to a smaller, more rural area, that there's no meth heads running around. Yeah. Um, some of these towns are very depressed, and um, actually we were considering looking at a, a property even further out from where we moved, and we found out that the town has a weird, creepy cult that has bought mm -hmm. up a bunch of property in it. 
these mm-hmm. are things you just don't know unless you speak to locals, to a local realtor. Um, hopefully you can find someone at, at whatever parish you might be looking to move to say, hey, what's the lay of the land? Where's the biggest grouping of conservatives? Have the local officials gone cuckoo liberal? Do you have mm-hmm. sheriffs that won't enforce crazy mandates? Things can change, but obviously trying to get as much information as possible is always helpful. I have yet to come across a trad parish where you don't have lawyers, realtors, or insurance salesmen. And accountants, yep. <laughs> and yep. accountants, yeah. Right. Yep. Well, accountants yep. will tell you evaluation, but but the, the first three I just told you about, half the time the lawyers are involved in real estate to one degree or another anyway, yeah. but but they're the ones who are going to be, be know, we'll, we'll, we'll know um, – if, if you say like I don't know, let's let's take a, an example here. Let's say you want to move to Omaha, and you 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 see on a map that Papillion is nearby, but you know nothing about it. So you you visit Omaha, you ask around in the parish, find a couple of people in these professions I mentioned. And you say I'm thinking about moving here, but I don't know anything about the demographics. Is this good? Should I go someplace else? I don't know. It, yeah, it, it's, it's just talk to people. Yeah, yeah, that that's the number one thing, and this yep. is that's a topic on on. Um, another podcast I've been listening to talking about uh, prepping and getting ready for things that are coming. The number one thing is meet people and, and have a a support network because you're not going to be able to do things by yourself. And isn't it ironic that in this age of quote unquote social media, that people are the most um, isolated and even to a certain extent are kind of like bashful and unsure about how to network with people face to face in real life. It's so ironic. It's so weird. By you know? design. design. By design. By design. And yep. the thing that I'm kicking myself the most about, um, well, I should, let me rephrase that. One of the things about which I'm kicking myself, um, when I went when I went to college, my senior year, I did a, a paper on the, the course was social issues and technology, and honestly, I, I didn't do that much forethought into it. I, I grabbed a few quotes from different philosophers and came up with this idea that uh, as we get more connected, we're going to become more separated. Mm-hmm. And the idea I went down there was was more coming up with the idea that that as people can connect with more and more niche elements of things that they're interested in, like if you want to find, if you're really into um, left-handed Chinese tap dancers from East Des Moines, and that's <laughs> your niche. Uh, you're going to be able to find them all on, on the internet. Mm-hmm. And it's a very small group. And you're going to develop your own little culture and your own little way of speaking and to the point that you're going to not be able to communicate with other people outside that bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't exactly nail it. But the point is that that um, with social media and, and the way the internet is evolving, it it's ironic that this this tool that is was built for communication is actually separating people. And if it it's, and, ironic, and if it's yeah. not and if it's not in the in the way that I that I thought about in the mid '90s, uh, which by the way is wrong, um, my 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 projection there was wrong. But it wasn't based on the idea that we we create little societies that can't communicate outside of our societies. It's more that we um, find reasons to be polarized and and hate everybody. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's um it's toxic. It's a cesspit and. I don't know. We're we're using it. Obviously, I post news stories and stuff that are posted on Twitter. But I've been saying since we started this podcast, I've been telling people to get off of it. Um, and boy, eyewitnessing people who have been <sighs> have had almost their souls destroyed by it. It's just it's absolutely awful to watch. And I was thinking the other day. I think we've talked about this maybe years ago on the podcast talking about communications and so forth and how people, we have this ability to communicate with absolutely anybody instantaneously. And yet 
people have lost the ability to communicate. So years ago, um, after after my grandfather died and we're you know cleaning out his house and you're just finding shoe boxes and shoe boxes and shoe boxes filled with old letters letters that were written you know close to a hundred like a hundred years ago my grandfather was born in 1904 my grandmother was born in 1910 and so you're finding these shoe boxes filled with these letters handwritten beautiful cursive and it's so weird because they were all kind of german stoic in person but the letters that they would write to people with just and not, i'm not just talking about the quality of the cursive or even the quality of the prose the depth of meaning the things that they would say to each other you know and now here we are we can communicate with anyone anytime and just about the deepest most affectionate thing anyone ever says to anyone anymore is the emoji with the you know the kiss with the little heart you know the little the little kiss emoji that that's just about one of the most intimate things that anyone ever says to anyone anymore is the kiss emoji it's just this complete and total inversion um so I don't know. Maybe it'll be a There's good a suspicion thing. that that uh, the Japanese have a plot to make us all illiterate with emojis. I believe it. No disrespect to to Japanese. <laughs> well, yeah. but if you I if you had if if you had their language, you would not want to write words either. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna take back on that one. Um, Japanese language, the 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 kanji. Which okay, there's three ways of writing Japanese. Kanji yeah. being the one that they actually imported from China. That's a very pictographic language, and there's a lot of, of, of philosophical meaning in some of in some of the the the, the glyphs, the mm -hmm. the kanji characters. So, for example, the the character for a man is basically it looks like a star with five points because it could be, oh yeah yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that. And, and the the um, the symbol for a boundary or like like the the perimeter of your field kind of looks like a L, like a giant L. Mm -hmm. um, no, I went back. The the symbol for a human is the little asterisk, but the symbol for a man is the combination of the human and the boundary, meaning a man is one who can protect his his property. <laughs> the symbol for contentment is the combination of the symbol for the house and a woman inside of it. The the symbol for a glyph for a woman, mm, and the and the symbol based. for chaos. Is exactly the same, but there's two women inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so you, you you talk about it being a Japanese plot to destroy communication. When you look at the, the the pictographic richness that they have in their language, now we're not getting that quite in emojis, but the idea of of kanji being a very pictographically rich and and significant uh, way of communicating to the point that. That's that's a big debate in China right now, is, is whether or not they're going to keep the Chinese language. There's a movie that came out in the early 2000s called Hero. Uh, Jet Li played this one, and one of the um, one of the plot points through there was the was uh, Chinese calligraphy and the 19 ways of forming the word sword, and the 19th form of it. Um, it had the the philosophical significance that the that the high at, at the highest form. Um, uh, or the highest level of being a warrior, he's seeking for peace. And mm -hmm. that's the purpose of the sword, is to seek peace, mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to bringing death and destruction. And this touched off a massive um, discussion throughout China because they had been talking about anglicizing or, or ditching the old kanji alphabet and going to a, a Latinized version of, of yeah. Chinese. What's it called? Pinyin or something like that when it's Latinized, yeah. 
Um, I would call it bastardized because you're 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 losing a lot of the significance of the language at that point. But it's oh, but char- Chinese character that you ha- that is pure rote memorization. I mean, it is so complicated. And even though how how does Chinese work? Oh, the the written language is standardized. So if you see a character that means cat, it means cat all over China, even though there are like 8 billion different languages in China. There are like a gajillion Chinese languages, but they unified the written language. So hmm. if for, if you're in the North and you see the character that means cat, you pronounce it meow. And if you're in the South and you see that, that same character, it still means cat, but it's pronounced goo or something like that. And it's, oh, it's so difficult. and. The thing I don't understand with regards to all of those languages, all the Chinese, the Japanese, um, Korean is kind of alphabetic. Korean is cool, but how do they how do they type? How how do you how do you type on a phone or or just a regular, you know, laptop keyboard if you've got if everything is are these individual characters? How how okay? I want to type the word. let me, let me see a word that's right in front of me. Uh, devotion. <laughs> okay, I, I'm a Japanese person and I, and I want to type the word devotion. How do, how do you even start to find that? I mean, doesn't it take you like 15 minutes? No, I, to... I know the answer to this one, by the way. Okay. Because I had a, a, a former co- a col- colleague, co-worker, whatever, colleague, yeah. Uh, former, <laughs> that's a yeah. good word. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, former co-worker who was Chinese. He still is, as a matter of fact. And, and um, <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> and and uh, I, I saw him typing once, and and he was typing to somebody, um, and, and he's he's writing kanji, and I was like, how in the world does that work? Because he's using an English keyboard, and essentially what you're doing is you're you're constructing uh, diphthongs together, in the same sense that we have one sound. Uh, like the TH sound or the SH sound, but we have multiple letters to do that. There's ways to do this on a keyboard where you you can phonetically combine together and 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 uh, create the uh, the kanji characters. And with with the in the in the case of Japanese, like I said, there's there's three ways to write Japanese. One is called romanji because they're using Latin letters. One is uh, I forget the name of it. It's 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 the one that that uses glyphs, but it's it's straight phonetics. And and the final one, and considered the highest form, is kanji. Um, I want to say it's katakana is the other one, but I'm sure somebody will correct me on that one. But even even the Japanese, for lack of a better word, alphabet, their phonetic alphabet has like 60, 60 letters in it, doesn't it? Right, or that's, like that? that's that's the katakana. It, it it has all of the the sounds that you, you would find in in the Japanese language that that would be expressed whether you're doing this in, in uh, Romanji or or the Latin letters or the phonetic uh, Japanese script or in, in um, kanji. And to make the connection to Korean, it's more like the the Japanese katakana where it's it's a straight phonetic thing. They don't have it's not pictographic glyphs in the same way that kanji is. I don't even know if I don't even know if Korean has a kanji element to it. I don't think so. I think they they went all in on that um, for lack of a better word, alphabet that they created and they're completely dedicated to it. Now, this brings up an interesting question that I've never really thought about until right now. You say the Chinese are looking at, you know, moving away from the characters and adopting and adopting using the Latin alphabet in, I think it's called pinyin, 
um, just write writing the words out with the indication of the tone as like a slanted accent mark or a you know a little u above the syllable or whatever to indicate the tone of it you know from a practical tactical standpoint if i were the chinese and i'm assuming that they're looking at expanding um and they're gonna look to expand into um you know like presumably europe or even if they invade north america it would be basically impossible for those conquered countries to learn chinese I mean, certainly it would be impossible for people to learn written Chinese, the characters. That's just, I mean, you can't take an adult population of people and expect them to be able to, to rote memorize while, while they're under occupation and probably starving to death and, you know, dying and so on and so forth. If, if the Chinese were smart from a, from a tactical perspective, they would go to the Latinized alphabet version because it would very, very, very much enable um, um, speed of conquering, you know, other, you know, let's call it the post-Christian West, mm. so that you, you'll be, so those people would be able to read words and there would be some level of communication. Whereas if you're talking about, just can't Cantonese or Mandarin or or anything like that with those characters, you're you're not going to be able to communicate with any of those people. No I dis one's gonna I disagree. Ever, you don't you really? I disagree. Because okay. they've first off they got what, one and a half billion people? Yes. You do language programs to teach second languages for the the language for the areas you want to conquer. English being the big one, uh, French, German, uh, take your pick Arabic and all the rest so that your, your leaders for those areas, your military governors are going to be the ones who are um, dual language skilled and you're going to reserve Chinese as the divine language that the, the rulers speak among themselves and the peasants don't understand. But your 300 million military who's going to be used to conquer these lands, who's going to be used to conquer and occupy North America, for example, you're going to, you're going to be using some of those 300 million, um, you know, boot soldiers, you know, um, they're not all going to be English speakers. They're going to be barking orders at people in in Mandarin. You only need uh, a, a you only need a sufficient handful who can speak English to issue orders, and you 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 find out. And the, I'm sure the agents are already here identifying everyone. And if they haven't identified it yet, then uh, Mark Zuckerberg, through his Chinese wife, has the algorithm to figure out who's who's willing to accept orders from a Chinese person mm -hmm. and 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 be the mouthpiece. So mm -hmm. the Chinese captain passes down the order for, you know, Oklahoma. And and the, the bootlickers then go out and pass on the order, saying, here's the orders that, that have been passed down from our Chinese overlords. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they get shot in the face for it is another question. But mm -hmm. I, I think it would... I think it would be tactically advantageous to not let your the people you're ruling know what you're saying. Ah, so that's the a good the, point the ability too. to yeah. speak the ability to speak in Mandarin just right in the open. Yeah. And basically right, have right nobody in front of people, yeah. And basically yep. have nobody understand what you're saying. Yep. That's true. And then and then the captain who who has been given his orders and has been discussing, maybe even arguing with the person who hasn't fully made up his mind, but then turns around the people the people who could have, you know, revolted during that 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 period of, of dissension and, mm -hmm. and and miscommunication or, or not miscommunication but um, uh, misunderstanding or non lack of consensus um, because they had no idea that there was they a, never it, even knew that it happened right yeah. 
Yep. As far as they know, it was just details being communicated and clarification. Mm-hmm. And and uh, now that the the captain turned around and start, start start speaking in English, that's what the guy other guy was saying, right? As long as they're able to maintain their emotional comportment and not let on that anything was wrong, yeah, nobody would ever know. But like I said, they've got one and a half billion people. Just find mm-hmm. enough people who who fit the mold to be multilingual, yeah. and can have that right temperament for uh, communicating or even having a a, dis- a disagreement without giving it all away on their face. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What a what a wonderfully chipper and upbeat conversation this uh, is. At, at Just, one point, this had to do with red states and blue states, and we somehow we went Chinese with it. And so, and then I started telling people to liquidate their four hundred one k's, and now we're talking about our Chinese overlords. What a potpourri! Yeah. Oh man. Speaking of potpourri, <laughs> the next question is: Are the settees right? <laughs> Has the counterfeit so. church been up and running for decades now? Are all the ordinations done in that time invalid? Um, no. Yeah. See, Anne had a really good comment on this um, about SETIs and what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. Th- this kind of a tell. What was that, Anne? Well, you know, if they really believe what they're saying and they're gung-ho about it, and this has been going on since 1958, why have none of them at any point made any serious effort to call a conclave and fill the sea? What, what are you waiting for? Put up, put, up, put up or shut up, you know? I mean, if you honestly believe that, it's em- that the sea is empty and has been since 1958, why don't you, you people get your acts together and call a conclave? Now, I, of course, don't actually advocate for this because obviously the sea is occupied by Pope Benedict. Um, so it's, that is just, it's a hypothetical, but the question is valid to the set of Acantus. Why don't you do something about this? Why, why are you content to just sit around and navel gaze and shake your fist at, at the sky? Why, if there's a problem, why don't you solve it? That's my question, so. Thoughts? Mm. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no there's no market in that, Anne. If I solve the problem, you know, what what are we gonna tweet about all day? It's almost like like solution. Jesse Jack Jesse Jackson and racism. If <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I can understand why people are thinking that the seduction of that argument is emerging. I can understand that in the light of mm-hmm. uh, sure. papal flatulence, but. I think I would say anti-papal, that anti-papal flatulence. Anti-papal flatulence. I'm fat sure. Flatulence, po- I'm, excuse me. I'm sure Pope Benedict is as regular <laughs> as rain. I'm sure he eats his prunes every morning. And speaking that of anti, and speaking flatulence. of anti-papal flatulence, I, I think I've mentioned on the on the podcast before that <laughs> that's the show title. By the way. <laughs> oh dear! I'll figure out a way to to um, creatively alter that. But no, uh, what I was going to say is is that. Uh, on the on the topic of set of contism, the the current junior bishop in white in Rome has done more to make me think that set of contism might have a point than anything the oh, set yeah, of contism have said in the last sixty years. Oh, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again because it's a, that is an absolutely brilliant point. At this point, the set of contism position is has a logic to it. 
it has a reason to it you can you can put yourself into their shoes and say okay what are they thinking okay that makes sense that that matches up um that is not completely totally irrational and that is not a violation of the law of non-contradiction what is a completely irrational totally violating the law of non-contradiction all day long and twice on sunday is the intransigent um francis's pope position that's what doesn't make a lick of sense that is what is logically speaking just you know sprinting at full speed into a concrete wall head first without a helmet on that's that's what's absolutely nonsensical the set of acantist position is a is it's a serious position um it has a logical continuity to it it's you know people that you could sit down and sit across from a, a, a dinner table or a lunch table and you know you could sit down and you have a really intelligent discussion and debate certain points well what about this well what about that the francis's pope thing is just you know um a violation of the law of non-contradiction and shut up stupid and that's it and there's just oh and also you're ugly and also you're ugly there there's just nothing there's nowhere to go with that there's nothing you can do um it's just ad hominems and burying your head in the sand and uh, and i i don't know it, i'd rather i if, if i want to sit down and have a really intelligent conversation about dynamics in the church i i if I want to have a really intelligent conversation with someone who does not agree, obviously, with my position, then it would be a set of acantus. That's a person that I'd be very interested in talking to. The the militant Francis's Pope people. It's just, I, I'm sorry, but I, I I just don't even really. I don't want to waste my time beyond a certain point. I mean, you you present the data and put it out there and then you get back shut up stupid and okay god bless you i'll pray for you but i really don't want to pursue that whereas a set of acantist yeah i, I there, there's some back and forth that could be had there and she'll uh, steel sharpen steel and all that i i think you know in dialogue and interchange there not that that word dialogue hasn't been completely ruined forever but you know what i mean dialogue Actual, with a set of acantist that would that's that would be fun that could also be a show title too i don't know so um yeah it's was it instead it, it, of a conscious that you were making the point about it being a species of neo-donatism or was that something else maybe that was something else um, uh yeah i mean super nerd you make that point where um the set of acantus position is basically leads to the fact that nobody's ever good enough you know you can just you can just keep going back and back and back. You can keep going back before Pius the Twelfth. Well, Pius the Twelfth, you know, uh, messed up the office and the Bay Assaulter and all that. Well, da 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 da. And the next thing you know, I mean, you're you're citing never the ends. Fact yeah. That Peter that Peter was <laughs> Peter Peter denied our Lord three times. Da, 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 da. You know, I mean, it just it doesn't end. So I don't know that I've ever said that, but now that you mention it, that. It's an interesting point. Why does why why does sense of contentism have to start with the death of Pius XII? Why can't it have why couldn't it have started it before that? Well, there there are sects where it, where it starts before, mm -hmm. isn't it? There's there's people who think that Pius X was the last pope, and then there's people. What's the one? There's one SSPD? way back. Yeah. They, oh. the, I, the SSPV doesn't think that Pius V was the last pope, but. 
uh, I, yeah, I forgot what they stood for. Well, the, the old Catholics, the old Catholics think that Pius the Ninth and Vatican One and um, the definition of the Immaculate Conception. Mm. I thought that, it was the, the definition, definition of, people, of infallibility that Pius the Ninth and the definition of infallibility that he wasn't the Pope and that that. So yeah, I mean, it just that's that's kind of the I think that's where that quasi Donatus mm -hmm. nobody's ever good enough. No, I've I've met you know a handful of set of contests. I have not run into the ones that you're speaking of, Anne. The ones that are very intellectually rigorous. The ones I've run into are the ones that I've heard described by a priest I very much respect as folks that kind of can't handle um, gray. That, that there needs to be a black and white. It's and it's mm -hmm. kind of uh, reflective of an emotional instability and a need for like really concrete answers where quite frankly, sometimes there, there is none. Yeah. Um, which, and that you know, certainly fair, fair is enough. the case. I mean, mm -hmm. Ratzinger certainly puts us in a position of gray. There's no question about that. And, you know, Mark and Dr. Matza and I, we, we've all said the same thing. The more you go back and you read the German theological academy of the, of the mid 20th century, just the more cringe and cringe and cringe it gets. Um, but it's at, your, your point is exactly right. Um, they're saying that the impeccability, that there, there, there has to be this impeccability and they can't understand how it could be possibly possible that a, a rat singer who was, you know, writing and postulating and theorizing about some uh, problematic ideas um, in his youth that how could he possibly be the Pope? Well, you know, he, he got a heck of a lot better. And the, the whole notion of the supernatural negative protection of papal infallibility doesn't apply to when Pope Ratzinger was 27 years old. It, it just doesn't apply. The, the mm -hmm. entire dynamic of this negative supernatural protection applies to um, the papacy and his reign as the Pope, which began in April of 2005. So you can't say, well, Ratzinger said this in 61, and so therefore, you know, oh my gosh, it's, it's all, it all goes up in flames. It really doesn't, because um, if you make that argument, then by that, by that thinking, let's say, for example, St. Augustine. Are you saying that St. Augustine was ineligible and could not have been elected pope? Now, he wasn't. That's, that, I'm not saying that he was. But if you're making that argument, you're saying that St. Augustine was ineligible to be Pope mm -hmm. because he held bizarre, he was a heretic. He, he held, or had a child out of, uh, he had a child know, out of, child. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. that's the least of it. I mean, the, <laughs> the bigger problem would be, uh, seriously, that's the least of it. The bigger problem would be, um, James um, it, well, what was, I mean, he, was, was he it? Arian for it? He was Arian. Uh, uh, yeah, oh, I mean, Arian. Yeah. Yeah, he was other things too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so this is a bit of a side step, but I'm really curious, Anne, your thoughts on the rumors. Well, actually, I think it was the statement from Gonschwein, Archbishop Gonschwein, that Benedict is triple vaxxed. I believe absolutely nothing any of them say. Mm -hmm. And if he is, uh, what was he injected with? Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, if it's God's will for Ratzinger to be alive then nothing can kill him, including the death injection. And if it's God's will for Ratzinger to die, then nothing will be able to prevent it. So, um, yeah. 
it's and the other thing that I think is is coming out now. There's been some more reportage on this in the last two weeks. Someone came out and said that he is that Pope Pope Benedict is pretty much under complete lockdown in terms of media and what he's allowed to see and current events and what he knows is going on and what what people are allowed to talk to him about. Um, I, you well, know, especially again, since they've already pre-announced that um, uh, Benedict Bergoglio, I'm sorry, let me say that again. It's already been pre-announced that Bergoglio is going to die on January 12th. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he doesn't, I think we would all be very surprised at how little he knows. And again, I'm not in this camp that says that Pope Benedict is playing 4d underwater chess with the world and you know I, I do not i do not believe this i believe that he he quit he quit and he's had a, a a habit of quitting and if again if you go back and read the crap that those german theologians were writing about in the mid 20th century about the papacy this all starts to make a lot of sense in what he tried to do with this cutesy poo um, half resignation nonsense. Um, I'm not, I cannot get on that bandwagon. But, so I'm not an apologist for him in that sense. But I think right now today, I suspect that he doesn't have much of an idea of what's going on. I don't think, I don't think he understands or well, looks really, I just don't think he has the information. I don't think he has the information fully of what's going on. He looks really dazed and confused. He's got that huge monitor on his wrist that is a little dubious. Well, it's a, it's a life alert. It's a just a big button. It's a if mm. so that if he were to go down or something like if he were in the bathroom or something and he were to to fall, he that's a life alert. It would it summons everybody. That's what mm. that that thing that looks like a watch on his what would be his right wrist or his left wrist? Whatever. I mean, he's got. Or he's does it got beep a wrist. when he like leaves the door, or the premises? Mm. I was gonna say, why not just put an Apple Watch on him? It's got all the health monitoring as well as geofencing. Yeah. Well, I I looked it up. I looked it up, and I did oh, find okay. the model of it on Google. It's a it's a life alert thing. It's a and it's a it's one big huge button so that you know elderly people and arthritic hands and all that. So it would be very easy for him to just reach down and press that thing if he got in trouble. That's what that is. That's what that is. But I think he's he's being held in a state of ignorance about what's going on. It wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't have any idea about what Bergoglio is trying to do to to the traditional Latin mass or that Bergoglio has tried to deceive the world into thinking that Samorum Pontificum has been abrogated or any of those things. He might not know about it. But the thing that's interesting, what the, what the Vaticanistas in Rome are now saying is that Bergoglio is doing this as revenge for Pope Benedict writing that book with Cardinal Sarah, mm, defending, right. defending priestly celibacy, which Bergoglio was gunning to do away with. So, yeah. So back to set of a I contest. I can see him being very oh, vindictive. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ber no. Bergoglio is just slightly vindictive. Just slightly. ever so slightly. Just yes. slightly, yeah. Go ahead, super nerd. <laughs> I was going to call an edit point and say, no, go back, Vanessa, develop your point. I can edit myself out and, and go from there. But no, what I was going to say is, is when it comes, what I'll say about the set of a contest is that without knowing anything about 
anybody other than whether they're a set of a contest or Ecclesia Day following. If the question is who has done more, who is more likely to know church history and know what is Catholic and, and, and know, have, have a sense of the faith or census fidelium or however you say that in Latin, there's something, there's one thing you, you definitely can say about set of a contest. They are awesome researchers. Yeah. They, yeah, yeah. and I've, I've made the joke on the podcast before. If you want to know what the council fathers at Trent had for lunch on the 18th day of the third session, they oh, have, Nova they've, they've got, they've got <laughs> the receipts. They yeah. literally have the receipts. Yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. Yep. So, I mean, we, we disagree and, um, I know that some of them very stridently think that we're all schismatics and we're all going to hell, but uh, you know, I, I, I wish the best and I, I'm just, I'm hoping for a resolution to this thing and it's going to take, it's probably going to take supernatural intervention at this point, but you know, nothing, nothing would make me happier than to be one, 1000% on the same page and in the same boat as, as all of those folks. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to not be, you know, in, in full union with them. And I, and I appreciate the fact that they all 1000% believe, believe their position, of course. I mean, how insane would it be to not believe a position that you hold? I mean, that's, that's silly. Of course they believe it. They want the best. They want the best for the church. Um, many of them, want the best for us. I mean, they, they, they think that we're wrong and they want us to be right. And, you know, we, the fe- the feeling is mutual from us to them. It's not, it's not coming from a position of just dripping hatred. You know, there, there, there isn't, it's not that it's just that we, we disagree about the factual tactical situation on the ground. And, um, I guess the, the phrase I'm looking for is in good faith. I think, I think, Almost all of them are are in good faith, holding the position that they hold. It's just that I, I don't think it's correct. So, and well, they don't speaking, think I'm correct. Go ahead. Speaking to what you were just kind of saying, just about people being on these different pages, I think the more research I've done into the SSPX, how it was created, how the Ecclesia Day was created, I think there's been way more of an effort than we ever imagined to create these controlled opposition groups where we're all just fighting each other. Because if you think about it, if Ecclesia Day wasn't formed when it was and how it was, literally against Archbishop Lefebvre, everyone would be SSPX. We'd be this huge block um, to fight back both resource-wise and numbers-wise against modernist Rome. And um, everyone's just split and fighting each other and, and the bad guys are laughing and they're all on one page and they're all together with all their billions of or millions of dollars in resources or billions if it's the Vatican Bank. And we're all, you know, fighting each other over the smallest things. So it's something to consider, you know, is it are the divisions authentic divisions in our little camps or are they not, you know? In my goofy blog post that I wrote, uh, my open email to Ann Barnhart, and if you Google that or (laughs) open email to Ann Barnhart, I made the comment that if a lot of the the supporters, the SSPX at the time, and I I was there, I I knew exactly what they were saying, priests and laity alike, um, that the idea being that when the Ecclesia Day, Moto Proprio Ecclesia Day, which is where the name the Ecclesia Day Commission came Mm -hmm. from, 
um, when when the the fraternity of Saint Peter was formed, the idea was among the SSPX followers and supporters is that this was just a ploy to get everybody to, or at least a, a significant majority of the SSPX followers to leave the SSPX, go to this other thing, and then eventually be mm-hmm. sucked into the new mass. But what happened? Nobody left the SSPX, and everybody who was on the periphery. Uh, who did not come over to tradition but was very sympathetic to it because they didn't like the idea of associating with something that was calumniated as being uh, schismatic or excommunicated. Mm-hmm. They all flocked immediately to the to the fraternity of St. Peter to the point that they had just a massive boom in vocations and they, they boomed all over the world. And, of course, the fraternity or the, the SSPX followers, you know, complain about the fact that the fraternity always set up a, a location right next mm-hmm. to an SSPX mass location. It's like, well, yeah, because that's where the bishop allowed it. And you know what? None of the SSPXers went there for the most part. They all, uh, the, the the population who went to those those masses came out of the Novus Ordo. And, and this is what, this is what uh, Francis is finally figuring out is that, by yeah. al- allowing Ecclesia Day to go on, you're not you're not taking anything away from the SSPX. No. You're drawing people, Catholics and even non-Catholics, into the Catholic Church and into yep. tradition. Absolutely, it, it it was it was a double blessing because the yeah. SSPX had the continuation of of being able to ordain priests by having the the four new bishops and this new um, spawning of groups among, under the Ecclesia Day umbrella. Yeah, it was a it was a multiplication of force effect that happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, good grief! It, look at look at their seminary and where is it? Dillwyn, Virginia. That thing is enormous. That's the SSPX's North North American seminary. Yes. That thing is huge, like Trump. Huge. It's absolutely huge. It's it it really is. And your your point is is absolutely brilliant. It didn't suck anyone out of the SSPX Ecclesia Day. All it did was pull Novus Ordo with sin. And yeah, they're tactically looking at that and saying, well, we, we can't have this. So yeah, but exactly. looping, looping back around to the, to the set of the contests, I see them as natural allies in the sense that at some point in the future, we're going to see the decoupling of the church and the anti-church. And mm-hmm. I think we're going to actually see. It could be this year. I mean. It, it, I think we're mm-hmm. going to see a, a real end to the papacy as we know it because whoever the successor of Bergoglio is is probably going to be the prime minister or the collegial first among equals they're not going mm-hmm. to do a proper pope why sh- why would be. they why should they it's going to be the church of man and mm-hmm. wh- even, whatever the rules are it's not going to be a valid pope because it's not it's not the church of christ so it can't be the successor of peter and when, and isn't when, this the end point of their synod in 2023 it's essentially you know, delegitimizing the papacy. I've heard that. I, I've, I've also heard it referred to as a de facto Third Vatican Council. But mm-hmm. but the idea being that when Benedict dies, we may literally have seen the last pope for until Peter the Roman, which I don't know how that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, that's maybe. what's terrifying. And that's why my prayer every day is that this this gets resolved before Ratzinger dies. Please, for the love of God, somebody do something. Archbishop Vigano, who I suspect listens to these podcasts and reads the blog, if 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 my suspicion is correct, for the love of God, will you please, please do something before Ratzinger dies? And you know, one of one of the things that um, the intransigent Francis's Pope 
people have been have been saying all along is well these these benedict benedictus pope people they're just de facto set of because as soon as ratzinger dies and the whole th the whole thing is flies off the flies off the handle this crap has been going on for nine years almost we've had almost nine years in which every single day in which the sun rises all it would have taken is for one bishop or cardinal to call a press conference and say significant canonical irregularities have been identified with regards to the putative resignation proffered by pope benedict in february of 2013 pending further investigation i hereby declare a state of suspense that's all it would take and we have had almost nine years to solve this problem or to begin to solve this problem the the issue is the paralysis the issue is the effeminacy the issue is the sloth the issue is is that there's not a man in the church today who will stand up and do something about this and it would be just excruciatingly easy to do so the whole argument was of well you adopt this position you're just a de facto set of a candidate he's still alive N almost nine years in he's still alive and every day has been an opportunity to fix this so that that argument is just the bleeding of effeminates is all it is and i reject it wholeheartedly dismount soapbox so let's just fast forward to june 6th Francis Fast has died June 6th of 2022. Okay. Francis has died. Benedict dies June 6th. Now we have a situation where we have no pope. And so we you're have, saying we both, have, both of them are dead. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm just making a prediction and, and imagining things here. We have not only a lack of a pope, but we also have a formal decoupling of the church and anti-church. And when I made the comment about Sedevacantus are a natural ally, it's because they at least recognize and understand that the Catholic faith is something serious to research, mm -hmm. learn about, and know and, and, and attain to and, and hold to. And I'm not making a generalization against all Ecclesia Dei followers, but there are more than a few who are fat, dumb, and stupid. <laughs> In other words, Them's fighting fighting words. words. Wow. And, and what I mean by the stupid part is they don't do their research. They're happy enough yeah. to have their yeah. mass. Yeah. They recognize there's something beautiful about it. But if somebody with a, a uniform of authority says, you don't get to do this anymore, they'll say, oh, okay. And they'll, they'll well, leave. That's, that's the entire, this is above my pay grade. I mean, that whole argument, you know, that's just that's just a complete intellectual cop out of Scarlett O'Hara-ism, fiddle dee dee. I'll think about. I'm not going to think about this. I'll think about this tomorrow. Which again is just bleeding effeminacy, and is revolting. That you're obliged. You are morally obliged as a functional adult. And especially by virtue of your confirmation, you're morally obliged to try to figure out what in the heck is going on. I mean, this is Holy Mother Church we're talking about. The whole thing is is in massive eclipse. We're like just sprinting towards them, literally trying to change the words of consecration and and basically attempting to eliminate the mass for all intents and purposes from the face of the earth, you cannot just sit there and say, oh, that's above my pay grade. 
well, it's funny. You've got opinions on all other sorts of things, and you're willing to voice those. <laughs> but then when it comes to this, it's, oh, oh, good heavens, I would never presume to even form an opinion on this. Give me a break. Give me a break. If you love something, you have to, you have to intellectually apprehend it. This is, this is textbook Thomas Aquinas. In order to love something, you have to intellectually apprehend it. And the more you love it, the more you should want to intellectually apprehend it. The more you love your spouse, the more you want to get to know your spouse. Or if you're courting and you love somebody, the more you want to get to know them. The more you want to get to know your children as they grow, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The ultimate of this is God. The more you love God, the more you want to know him, know about him. And one, just one logical corollary leap there, you want to know about his body and his bride, his holy Catholic church. And you want to know about his vicar on earth. And you want to know what's going on here. And um, so the whole, the whole, um, this is above my pay grade, and I would never presume to even have an opinion on this. What that basically is, is a shaded, backhanded declaration of indifference. And what is indifference? What is indifference the opposite of? Indifference is the opposite of love. If you love something, you intellectually apprehend it and you want to intellectually apprehend it more as much as you possibly can as a finite being so yeah i think it's also a species of pride because you know when you bring up these kind of questions in ecclesia dayland for the for the folks that just so uh, oops edit for the folks that, that's, <laughs> for the folks that super nerd, you know, so so lovely described there. It's it's a species of pride because I've heard it I've heard it said, well, you know, we have to be obedient, as if there's this this mocking that you're not obedient for switching off the you know the upstairs light bulb, uh-huh. um, and and it's it's a weird um, virtue signal of like, well, I'm just not going to think about it. That shows how uh, obedient I am to the point of suicide, to the point of yeah. spiritual suicide. Um, and it's also sounds like the, Islam to me. Sounds very yes. Muslim. Sounds oh, sounds very yes. Muslimoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a very interesting point. That is totally what it is. Mm-hmm. And I've also noticed too that, and this is kind of slippery here. Um, so there's there's I think a large portion of folks that came over from Reverend Novus Ordo land into Ecclesia Day. And they're the ones that almost self-apologize constantly. You know, they'll be seen at Novus Ordo activities or their kids go to Novus Ordo school or whatever you want to call it. Or they go to Novus Ordo masses, not infrequently. And they'll say the things like, well, it's still a valid mass. And it's like these, yes, but these are the arguments that the opposition has made to neuter traditionalists, you know? So yes, we know that it's it can be a valid mass in the Novus Ordo, but as traditionalists, we want to fight for the Latin mass. And so these arguments aren't helpful. These are the opposition's arguments. And so you have this class of people that have not been thinking strategically. And what's happened? That Now their mass is attacked and they have no idea how to defend it. And that's the frustration I think, at least personally, I've experienced is we all need to be thinking together in the Ecclesia Day and then doing the smart thing when the hammer drops and I think maybe the hammer just hasn't dropped hard enough, and we'll see that in 2022. But, mm-hmm. you know, the wheat from the chaff. 
the visitations are supposed to start within a matter of weeks. So there you go. This, yeah, this is going to be the wheat, the wheat chaff year. Yeah. In fact, yep. the first half of the year is probably going to be the wheat chaff year. Yep. Right. And, and for those of you clued in and have a sense of, of the history of the church and who go to the Ecclesia Day, maybe people who are in my situation who grew up at the SSPX and are one of the point zero zero one who now go to predominantly the Ecclesia Day, reach out to and, and help your your fellow Catholics who might be very confused and just need somebody to to, to give them that nugget of, of truth to help them along so they don't get lost. Well, because oh, a you lot can of them will that. be. You want to you want to go somewhere where you can see really really good people who are like you said confused, scandalized, freaked out. Go look at Father Z's com box. Mm. Whenever there he makes any sort of a post that even remotely touches on any of this, the most heartbreaking comments show up in his com box about people saying, "I just don't understand how this can be happening," and you know they're they're basically implying that they're losing their faith over this. Yes, reach out to those people and and explain to them what's going on. That's that is the the number one. Um, I think position of strength that we have as Benedictus Pope people is that we are basically the only ones who can present a completely coherent, logical explanation of what in the heck is going on. There is nothing about any of this that I cannot sit down across a table and look someone straight in the eyes and explain clearly and it doesn't take too terribly long now can i do it in less than 140 characters on a twitter post mm, no i can i can i can i can present the thesis in less than 140 characters pope benedict never validly resigned i can i can do that in less than 140 characters but you know having a conversation and getting someone who is literally teetering on the precipice of losing their faith and even the existence of God. Um, I'm going to need a little bit more than 140 characters, but I can do it. Oh, I can do it within a matter of minutes. Yeah. In 140 characters, you can give a link to an 8,000 word blog post that says I'm straight. Yep. That too. Or, and or, or a video or a two hour long video. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. And to yep. the point of, of the people who are brokenhearted or confused in a passionate sense in the comm boxes, whether it's Father Z or elsewhere, going back to Anne's point about the opposite of love being indifference, the people mm -hmm. who are passionate are the ones who actually will follow the truth. The ones yes. who just kind of say, mm -hmm. eh, whatever, when, when the order comes down that you can't go to the Latin Mass anymore. Mm-hmm. They're going to require a little more than just uh, a pointer and, a, and an encouragement. Yeah. And we pray, we, we put out the call to pray for priests on every single podcast, but we need to pray for these people too. They currently go to Ecclesia Day masses. They currently appear to be traditional Catholics. Yeah, Let's well, put it that I way. Mean, the, the analogy, what I'm reminded of, is are we going to see basically a redux of what happened in 1970? So the, mm -hmm. the Novus Ordo is promulgated the first Sunday of Advent. So I don't know if it was like, it was basically the first of December, 1969. And people went to mass, saw the clown show and said, well, this isn't Catholicism. And they, they left. They just walked out. They said, well, I guess that's it. 
I guess it's over. And they left and they never went back. Is that, is, is that in mm. micro going to happen again? Are there a bunch of people in Ecclesia Day, um, you know, congregations, parishes, where whatever Bergoglio is going to do happens and they and they do exactly what happened what would that be a generation or a generation and a half ago it's 50 years where those people just shrugged their shoulders and walked away how many people in trad parishes in ecclesia day trad parishes are going to shrug their shoulders and walk away and i think it's actually yep. quite a few I, and that's I we got to fight yeah yeah, yeah. Yep. But at the same time, I mean, there's always been smaller remnants and, um, you know, what is it? The Council of Trent, you know, people don't, God doesn't send people to help people send themselves. And I think that God does provide sufficient grace to people to discern these things. And if they choose not Absolutely. to, even in the face of glaring evidence, yep. I mean, wow. Um, you know, then that, <laughs> then that's what that's what's been chosen. So I would actually even say, of course, we pray for them. But at the same time, no pearls before swine. Um you know, and to, to, to kind of let the dead bury the dead if after repeated proof points of anti-papacy and complete malfeasance and no, you know, no true authority, um, people do what they do. But I agree with you, Anne. I think I'm, I, I, you know, I think what, sh what we were seeing with uh, what we saw with Traditionis Custodis was people won't act like, like you think they will. There are trads mm -hmm. who've gotten jabbed um, without even thinking that I was shocked about. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's going to be ugly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have to keep fighting. And just, you know, Vanessa, because you're not a, a public person and you're not getting emails from people, let, <laughs> oh, let, me, let me assure you, <laughs> let me assure you that, I mean, to this day, I'm still getting a steady stream of emails. I got an email from someone just the other day saying lifelong baptist i'm ready to go where where should i go here's here's where i live where's what's the closest thing i should go to to convert to the wow. to catholicism oh yeah oh the yeah though the converts today are just going to be i mean saint material to convert oh, in the midst goodness. of this is just really heroic yes <laughs> but also warn the people who who say that they, they are ready to convert they're going to see at least they're, they're going to see real demonic manifestations show up in their life Oh, yes. Because Satan oh, yes. doesn't want to lose them. And oh, yes. when you are converting from whatever it is that's not Catholic to Catholic, Satan is going to, as soon as you make that definite um, declaration to somebody, and I, and I warned somebody who I, I know, um, I'm not going to de describe the details of how I know this person, and, but uh, when they made the definite declaration, I want to become Catholic, I said, oh, and I warned them about this, so you're going to see this happen. Mm -hmm. um, problems with your family, problems with friends that, that uh, were buried and long gone, you're going to see a rash of crap show up in your life Job, soon. Job, financial, and house then, burns down. Yeah, and then I mean, you're going to yeah, get past yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And yep. you'll finish your, your process and go through you know, the, the, all the classes necessary for uh, leading up to baptism. And there will be a period of calm and bliss, and then the crap is really going to hit the fan yep. at that point. Oh, yeah. Yep. Because it's, the, it's going to be the temptation at that point. It's all fake. How stupid are you that you didn't see it? And this person told me on both, both occasions, like, you were absolutely right. And if you hadn't warned me, I might have lost faith. Mm -hmm. And this person is an awesome, strong Catholic right now. Yep. But how yeah. many Catholics are lost because somebody didn't warn them? Make, granted, I didn't know this until somebody 
um, <laughs> the person who's actually responsible for, uh, I wouldn't say converting necessarily, but, but bringing my wife's family in mass to tradition, um, hearing him talk about this, um, when I, when I heard that, cause I, I don't have a lot of experience with converting people. It's, I, I, I'm, I'm not, that's not my area of expertise. Um, I'm, I'm better with, you know, teaching more advanced topics if you already are in the faith. But um, hearing this, this this guy talk about, you know, the challenges that converts go through, and it's like, oh, well, that that's good to know. It makes complete sense. And when I told this person, I was just parroting what he said, it's true. And so yeah. as people, you know, are entering the faith, as they are, are saying and making that declaration, whether it's to Vanessa or to Anne to, through their email or whatever, you know, awesome. We're praying for you. Mm-hmm. I'm here to answer whatever questions you have. By the way, this is going to happen, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. proof that the Catholic Church is the is the the Church of Christ. Well, exactly. You know, Satan usually doesn't attack people who decide to start going to super fun rock band church because, you know, why? He already lives there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, whether you're Catholic or not, and especially if you're not, I mean, wear your miraculous medal, your Saint Benedict medal, and you can use holy water. And um, you'll see a bit, you know, these are big protective um, sacramentals from the church and everyone, you know, should be wearing them 24-7. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. especially these days. Yep. Yep. We should talk yeah. about sacramentals on our podcast. What's that? We should talk about sacramentals on our podcast. I, I, yeah. I know there are some just fantastic stories out there about the power and effects of sacramentals. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome stuff. I mean, the Catholic Church is awesome. My, Epiphany salt. That could be uh, an yes. entire. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, that could be an entire episode by itself. I, Although, super, you, you would need to cue up the Twilight Zone music for the Epiphany salt um, <laughs> episode. <laughs> Epiphany salt or Epiphany water and bless salt. Um. Yes. Correct. Epiphany water, which has the exercise salt from the Epiphany blessing and. The water right. exorcism, yes. Oh, yeah. I, by, I the, by the way, um, I hope hopefully I'll get this out tomorrow so somebody can listen, so people can listen to this before the actual epiphany. But the uh, for part of the epiphany blessing, it's, it's blessing of, of water, obviously the epiphany mm-hmm. of water, but mm-hmm. also the blessing of gold. Uh, hopefully the priests do this, and so literally it, it's it's oh, a it's yeah. it's a circumcised no not circumcised circums. <laughs> okay, that's a different deal. <laughs> I think Sir, that was an that was an Austin Powers movie, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> There's okay a Latin word that I'm not remembering in in its totality, but it it, it circum is the first part, but it has to do with uh, and to, basically having power to affect everything in the premises. So if you have gold with you that you intend to be blessed, it could be your wedding ring, it could be a mm. um, a one ounce gold buffalo or, or gold eagle. In uh, that Epiphany blessing has an actual exorcism to it as well. So everyone who's wearing a gold wedding ring, and by the way, that's why Catholic um, couples who want to get married, um, you should have actual gold in your rings. Uh, there, oh. there's a sacramental blessing that can be attached to gold that can't be attached to platinum. No platinum, yeah. Um, yeah. Like you can have platinum; it's a valid ring, but you're missing out on the opportunity for for some of the other things. But the but the the idea of having literally on your hand and whether or not you hit somebody in the mouth with it, it's a different story. But something that carries an exorcism mm, that's yes. powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. and in the um, St. Andrew's Missal. So when I got married, we 
did our vows from this you know pre-1955 missile and there's a specific section ladies take notes um, where your husband gives you silver and gold in the marriage uh, uh, right in, in, in the liturgy for that part not liturgy it, during the vows during the vows um, and there's a special blessing that goes with that too that's in the only in the pre-1955 one so ladies get your saint andrew's missile if you're engaged you know get that extra extra something something is that the is that the wedding right or is it the betrothal so no so it's not the betrothal it's during the actual wedding and during near the exchange of the rings and there's a blessing over the gold and the silver so my husband gave me a saint uh, Benedict medal as the silver and a miraculous medal as the gold so you can do that and have it be symbolic and you wear that for protection but yes um, these are really powerful sacramentals and and um, great to have on hand so I was wow. conscious of the gold part but I did not know about the silver part and in terms of of the the, the rituals as part of the marriage one of one of the things that my wife and I did that I don't even remember where we picked this up but uh, you know the the part where I with this ring, I wed thee, and and mm -hmm. you you put it on their finger. You start by putting it like one knuckle down on the index finger, yep. in the name of the Father, and then the one Trinity, knuckle down. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly for the, for the right. Trinitarian thing, and then and then in the name of the Holy Ghost onto the ring finger, and then it stays there until one of you dies. Yes, that's in the pre. At least that's in the that's in the Saint Andrew's Missal vows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, we, we we even do that in certain circumstances where I need to take my ring off because I'm I'm working with you know, heavily vibrating power equipment or something like that, like um, chainsaws mm -hmm. or, or you know, stuff that I got to work on. Uh, if I take my ring off for that purpose, even when when I put it back on, I have my wife put it back on and do that, you know, the, the, the three Aww. fingers, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It, it's, a, it's an awesome little renewal of vows. That's, That's true. cool. It's a good idea. That reminds me, um, I think men should have their and I don't know, super nerd, if you if you disagree with this, I think men for safety should have their wedding rings scored because um, it is possible, especially if you work with heavy equipment at all, that you can rip your finger off. If what you, do you mean by if, scored? Um, it, you know, a, a, crease, a, a crease is put in it so that if it, you ever catch it on something, it breaks oh, and doesn't okay. rip you and doesn't rip your finger off. That happened to uh, that happened to Jimmy Fallon, the 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 TV guy. He fell in his kitchen and reached out and grabbed something, and his wedding ring basically tore his finger off, and he had to have his finger reattached. Okay, well, Jimmy Fallon, I wouldn't point to him as the best example of a Catholic or that scenario. <laughs> oh no, as the no, best no, 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 no. But, but I mean, this is this is a thing that happens. Um, there's a, there's actually a name for it um, in the in the medical literature of you know your ring your ring tearing your finger off, and you can have you can have rings scored so that it's just a safety thing. So that and it's mostly men. Usually that doesn't happen to women, um, mm -hmm. but m men who like farmers. Farmers are not supposed to wear it on their finger just because if you're working with heavy machinery and so forth that there's just ooh, ooh, There's a lot of risk there, but get it. You can get it scored That's a legitimate reason to have either like a silicone ring or have a second ring that's intentionally scored uh, mm -hmm. Or something or just don't wear it. I mean for example electricians Thou shalt not wear anything that can conduct metal on your mm -hmm. fingers. Mm -hmm. um, th this is just like an absolute requirement. It's it's a safety issue. You will lose your finger at some point if you wear a ring. Mm -hmm. And gold is the best conductor of electricity the there conductor. is. Yep. Um, yep. It, it, this is this is common sense. It's not immodesty to 
take your wedding ring off to do no. something dangerous that could could affect your health or you know be extremely uncomfortable while you're while you're doing a particular job it is immodesty to not put it on at all and yes. and go into town you know go shopping or whatever um and go knowing with and the guys no, or whatever right right yeah. well go yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> what's yeah. that mm-hmm. Hmm? what's that Aww. the restaurant chain oh Super nerd, you're awesome. No, I was in the Navy. I know what that is. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> but All right, to, to so your point, to your point about scoring a ring, I would say if if you're in a situation where it that's prudent, um, just don't wear it when you shouldn't be wearing it. That's true too. Or wear a heavy duty leather glove over it if you're farming. Um, yeah. In, in my yeah, yeah. In, in the examples that I was using, like. Um, uh, chainsawing and 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 uh, using heavy heavy equipment that vibrates significantly, um, even through gloves, that's going to really rack around and, and make oh, my yeah. finger hurt for days. That's how I figured yeah. it out the first time. Um, just take it off and put it back on afterwards. Yep. And say a prayer Common to your guardian sense. angel. Say a prayer to your guardian angel to remind you to put your ring back on because it's also very easy. And you know the the satanic ones like to have you forget to put it back on because that that's a daily sacramental exercise sacramental if you have the epiphany blessing attached to it and all the other blessings of the church that go with it you're losing out on definite protection if you even accidentally forget to put it back on Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. when you take it off for legitimate reasons say a prayer to your guardian angel hey remind me to put this back on would you please Mm -hmm. So that you don't later have to ask St. Anthony to help you find it. <laughs> well, and, and put it someplace particular. I mean, for example, when I take my ring off to do yep. you know heavy chores like that, uh, we've had a, a statue of, of Our Lady of Fatima on our, on our mantle, and I always put it over her hands, which are folded. Ah, oh. So it's like, this Very is in smart. your hands, and, and literally, I'm putting this on your, <laughs> on your hands, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I'm going to come back to you when, when, it, when the job is over. Nice. All right, I'm showing we're at a buck fifty on this. Do you want to? You want to wrap get, this we're one getting up? There and, and we have so many more questions. I um, know. We can do one more. No, let's not. Let's not. Even though it's kind of funny, we'll save this one and uh, definitely for the one. other kids, for the other guys. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, this one is more uh, when, when Vanessa's back on for a panel discussion. We need to put, throw this one in there, but. Uh, no, we, we, the point is we've got a lot of questions left, so we're gonna, we're going to be doing we're going to be doing these panel Q and A's. Um, probably for a while, even though it's not going to be every single podcast. Um, I'm going to, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say don't send any more questions in. Uh, we, we can always address them at some, excuse me, we can always address them at some point, but um, sure. yeah, it, it's, I'm not surprised that we only got through four or five of them here. So we're just, we're just a chatty bunch, but let's wrap this one up. Indeed. The email address of the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, or more questions and answers. We're probably doing this for quite a while. The email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors, and at least one Mass is said for y'all every single day, plus Mm -hmm. one traditional Catholic Requiem Mass is said for everybody who died in the previous week. Whether it is Betty White or since since the last time we've done this wrap-up, I... I, I want to mention a couple of cases, um, one very local to where I am and one not quite as local. Um, both good traditional Catholic uh, young fathers of family under 30 years old, mm-hmm. fathers of four who died suddenly and, and uh, are leaving behind a family, a very young family. Um, 
please pray for them and please pray for the priests as well um, who, who are saying these Requiem Masses and also the Daily Benefactor Masses and, and all the Masses. And we've mentioned that the hammer is coming down very soon. Vatican is sending Terminators, um, Inquisitors. Now, what's the right word? Visitors? Visitators. 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 I think I had it right the first time. Um, to all of the Ecclesia Dei groups to do whatever they're going to do because it's already pre-decided and the hammer is coming down soon. Please pray for these priests. They're, they're going to be facing some very tough decisions and challenges and, coming well, and up. And the seminarians, too. Oh, talk about facing tough decisions. How would you like to be four years into a seven-year formation program in Griciliano or in um, Denton, Nebraska, or in Vigritzbad and have this hanging over you? Or yeah. from, a, from a different perspective, um, I can just imagine the headache that is looming for the SSPX in terms of a logistical... Where are we going to put them all? Yeah, overrun. Yeah, and yep. between between uh, faithful who are coming and um, people who are saying, "Hey, I'm four years into a a a, a, um, a seminary program, or mm-hmm. I've been a priest for such and such group for twelve years, and mm-hmm. this just happened." Mm-hmm. Um, the Archbishop of Chicago just said, "I can't say the Latin Mass anymore, except <laughs> except when he gives me explicit permission to, which he doesn't want to anymore." Um, yeah, pray for these priests. They they are already facing very difficult situations, um, and they have been already in some cases. I, I think I've mentioned that some of the Fraternity St. Peter priests, for example, are getting sniped by baseless allegations about things that they allegedly did but never did, and they're they're just they're just systematically getting removed because mm-hmm. any any allegation, even if it's unfounded, a lot of bishops just don't have the backbone to truly investigate it. They'd rather just um, avoid all appearances of impropriety and just say, okay, your card is pulled. Go back to where you came from. Um, pray for the priest. Karen, Karen is running the world at this point, whether, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, Karen, Karen is wielding tremendous dark evil power in, in these, in these days. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Pray for these priests and, um, pray to the patron of the podcast as well. St. Tiny princess. Yes. Um, a timely, <laughs> a timely patron to, to to look at. I mean, she had, like I've said on a previous podcast, extensive pharmacological uh, interactions during her short life. Mm-hmm. Um, she's definitely one who has has experience with drugs that are of the proper kind to treat people, as opposed to the improper kind who are being used to kill people these days. Yeah. Um, so don't don't um, don't neglect all of the heavenly help that we have. The communion of saints is an amazing and wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Don't forget the souls in purgatory. They, even yes. though they can't help themselves, they can help us, and they are not ungrateful. They will remember all, all of the prayers and sacrifices that you do for them. If you offer a thirty, if you were generous enough to offer a thirty mass uh, Gregorian mass for some soul in purgatory, and leave it up to the Immaculate Heart of Mary to decide who that's for. And that springs them out of out of purgatory. You think they're going to forget you? Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, one of our longtime listeners um, recently passed, and a Gregorian is being said for them every day in January at seven a.m. Central Time. And her name was Mrs. Jewel Atkins, J E W E L A T K I N S. She was a she listened to every podcast and she read the blog and for years and years and years and years and um, a Gregorian is being said for her all this month so we've got one going on right now we also have one of the Barnhart benefactor mass who mass priests who I've heard through the grapevine um, does have the coof so pray for pray for 
father, what will we call him? Father A. Father A, please. Yes. Even even though it's definitely doable to get over the coof, as uh, if you listen to, to the podcast with Mark, uh, non-venny Mark, uh, it's mm-hmm. also very possible to die from the coof. Even though he didn't, he was touch and go for a while. So It's very possible to be killed by your doctors, too. So, yeah, um, indeed. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So definitely pray for all the above. Well, pray to St. Tiny Princess, but pray mm-hmm. for the priests. Yes. And uh, switching topics slightly, uh, I want to give thanks to the, the folks who have uh, donated since the last time. My notes here say since the last podcast, but we've actually had two or three podcasts in the interim yes. since we've done the full wrap-up. So it's, it's a longer list than usual because it's just been accumulating. Uh, so via the mailbox, uh, PMJ, Pamela, Thomas, Ron, Susan, Mary Lou, Stephen, Rick, and... I don't know if this person's name is James, so I don't know if this is Rick James, but he just simply wants to be, he or she just simply wants to be identified as a, a no agenda listener from FEMA region seven. Oh, interesting. Very nice. Oh, the, the no agenda Venn diagram crossover with the Barnhart podcast. Me likes, me likes. Right. And if you, and if you listen to uh, no agenda, they, they, they make uh, reference to their location in the United States based on your FEMA region. I have no idea what my region is. I'd have to look it up. But uh, this person just says they're in FEMA Region 7, so thank you. Uh, nobody via Bitcoin, which is, you know, may or may not be a good thing. I don't know. Uh, and then via Amazon, David, who says, thank you for your support of Anne and, and her rascals, of which you are one. He's talking to me about that one. Uh, Mike says, donation as thanks for the Barnhart podcast. Hope you and your wife use it for something fun. And actually, we did. Nice. So thank you. Very good. Uh, and Anne, but it's Anne with an E actually, so it's it's not you. Happy it's not New- me. Yeah, not you. Happy New Year, and thank you for your work. And well um, with that, uh, Matthew seventeen twenty. Pray without ceasing, fast twice a week if you can. Fourfold intention um, that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the, pe- the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict repent of anything he might need to repent of, that he die in a state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieve the beatific vision, Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, Slayer of the Pachamama Demon, pray for pray us. Pray for us. Amen. Any final words, Vanessa? No, that's it. Okay. Until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. Did it record, Super Nerd?